the Good Morning Church family. So good to see you this beautiful Sunday morning. Also, I want to say good morning to all of you who are watching us online. We are honored and humbled that you allow us into your home. My name is Pastor Brandon Ziske, the lead pastor here at Austin Oaks Church. Our heartbeat is to be simply about Jesus because just like we sang, he is the King of Kings. It's his throne that will be established forever, for all time. Um, I want to encourage you, if you haven't grabbed one of these, not to get up now and grab it, but to grab one of these on your way out. Um, if you're online, you can find this on our website. But we're going to be going through the Gospel of Luke in the book of Acts in 2021. And so you can follow along in here, take notes in here as well. Um, I wanted to start out this morning, <coughs> excuse me, by reading and recapping Luke chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, just to kind of set the tone for this morning. Luke 1, 3. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. Now, in light of all of the things that's happening in our nation and all of the information that we are being bombarded with through media channels and all the other stuff that's out there, it seems as if the world is on this pursuit of truth. Certainty. What is true? What is not true? What can we stake our hope in? What can we build on as a foundation in our lives? There's a lot of people who are feeling hurt and disillusioned and disappointed and others are placing their hope in all the wrong things and all this kind of stuff. But right here, we see in this gospel, Luke writing to a man by the name of Theophilus for the sole reason that Theophilus would have certainty that he would know with absolute confidence that he can place his hope and trust in Jesus. The true story, the true gospel, the one throne, the one king that matters. And it isn't much different than today. Like back then, as it is today, there was so much uncertainty and so much unrest. There was a hunger and a thirst for truth, a truth that matters, a truth that is consequential, a truth that changes everything. Their environment back then, just as ours is today, was politically tense and religiously confusing. Luke experienced the power of Jesus Christ. His life was radically changed through the gospel. And he also saw the gospel change people's lives as he journeyed with Paul and Timothy. He saw communities being transformed through Jesus. And he wanted to bring this truth, this certainty to Theophilus. He wanted Theophilus to know that this is the true story. This narrative is trustworthy. It's good news of a king and his kingdom. It's the truth that matters. It's the truth that has significant consequences. It's the truth that changes everything. And you can stake everything on it. It needs to be the foundation of your life. And everything you do and everything you become needs and will be built from this foundation. This is so important for us today. I'm telling you this morning, you can know with certainty that the things of God in his word are trustworthy and good. And so Luke starts out this message with sharing two remarkable and astonishing stories to Theophilus to stir up his heart, for him to look inside of his heart and to wrestle with what he will do with his trust. 
So let's stand together and let's honor the word of the Lord. And if you're online, I want to encourage you to stand with us online. I got reports last week that, yes, even though I joked with those who were in pajamas to stand up, they did. Awesome. Thank you. So I encourage you to stand up this morning and let's read the word of the Lord. And I'm going to pull an audible on the tech team. They're going to be like, I don't see this passage. That's okay. I'm going to start with verse 30. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Father, we come humbly to you this morning. We confess and recognize that we are a broken and sinful people, that we are prone to wander. We're prone to anxiousness and frustration We truly are sheep. We acknowledge that to you. Lord, we realize that every good gift that we have comes from you. And Lord, we ask that this morning, as we come to your word, that your spirit would open our eyes, soften our hearts. We need you to show us your heart and your ways and your truth. Lord, I pray that you would refine your church. Lord, I pray that we would recognize and understand that we are the movement of God on this earth, entrusted with the gospel. So Lord, I pray that this morning you would challenge us to our core, help us to see where there's areas of doubt and disappointment, where maybe we have taken our eyes off of you and placed them on other things. Lord, we give you praise and glory that you are the King of kings. You will reign forever. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You can take a seat. Seventh grade, catechism class, St. Stephen's Lutheran School. I stumped him this time. I know I did. My pastor had this knack of betraying, portraying the Bible in these beautiful and marvelous ways where I was like, man, these stories are just too good to be true. And I had a lot of doubt and skepticism. And I always wanted to stump him and prove to him that these things weren't right, that these things weren't true. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I got the question of all questions. I knew that. I knew this one would stump him. So I asked him, who made God? Boom. Got it. This was the question that nobody ever dared to ask of all humanity. It's the question that's going to unravel everybody's faith for all time. I got it. Well, he quickly answered because he was a very wise pastor and he spoke right into my heart and wanted me to think rightly about God. And so he asked this question, Brandon, let me ask you, is God eternal? Well, if we're going to talk about God, I suppose he is. Well, what does eternal mean? Well, I suppose it means no beginning or end. What was that first thing you said? Right, no beginning. Got it. So Brandon, what's the issue? What's really the issue? What's driving the question? What's stirring the things inside of you that wants to always challenge me? To try to prove that God isn't real. 
I mean, if you can't be moved by the fact that God is eternal, I mean, that's just one small aspect of who he is. How could God, anything else of God, move you? And I remembered something saying, like, I, I was just so full of myself as a seventh grader. I just looked at him and said, it's all ridiculous. But really looking back on that time, what sparked that question was actually doubt. Not so much over the existence of God. It wasn't that. It was that I really doubted if God was good. If God is near us, if God really takes notice of me, if God really loves me, if he, God really sees me. Because at that time in my life, I was experiencing pretty serious hurt. There was some serious resentment and disappointment in my life. And what came out in this questioning of this pastor was just simply disappointment. The questions were nothing but red herrings or distractions from the real issue. My angry skepticism and unbelief was proof that there was hurt inside of me. Now, why do I share that story with you? It's because of the way that Luke starts this gospel writing to Theophilus. Now, as we go through this gospel, I want us to be mindful of the author's intention for why he wrote this letter and also his audience. You got to remember, Luke was a very educated and influenced person. He was a doctor. He's not the type of person that's just going to randomly throw caution to the wind and believe anything that just comes his way. He's someone who wants to look at objective proof, empirical evidence, and also subjective proof and experience before he places his trust into something. And what Luke wrote and how Luke wrote it and in the order of how Luke wrote it is significant. It's very intentional, even down to the words. He wants Theophilus, someone who doesn't believe in Jesus fully, who knows some things about God, but is yet to make that decision to give his heart to Christ. He wants Theophilus to know with absolute certainty that he can place his faith and trust in Jesus. And so he starts this story, this narrative, with two dramatic and radical stories. Two stories dealing with miraculous pregnancies. Two babies who will radically shape the landscape of humanity forever. One's going to be the forerunner, and one's going to be the fulfillment of all of the prophecies that have been given to the nation of Israel. We see this angel Gabriel. All sorts of mysticism, all sorts of miracles, all sorts of grand images. But these two stories really prepare the reader for Jesus in a significant way because it deals with the issue of the heart. And yes, as we go through the story, there's going to be so many profound Old Testament prophecies and all those types of things. But what we're going to see are two individuals by the name of Zechariah and Mary who both question, who both show different types of doubt to the God's message to them. And that's the issue. And that's what Luke is trying to stir up in Theophilus is to deal with his heart right on the forefront, to challenge him. What will he do with his doubt? Because let's just face it. We all doubt. There, is, there cannot be one honest person in this room who can honestly tell me they have never doubted. Doubt is part of the game. Doubt is not necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes we feel condemned when we doubt. Doubt can be the fertile soil for faith. It can be very damaging if we allow disappointment and hurt and resentment lead to unbelief. But doubt's not necessarily a bad thing because the reality is we all doubt. These are great stories 
remarkable stories, miraculous stories that can sound too good to be true. And the other thing that's true of every single one of us is we all faced hurt. We all faced disappointment. We all asked some really tough questions of God. So did Theophilus. And so this is how Luke starts this story to Theophilus. Knowing, friends, knowing that there's so much at stake. Knowing that Jesus is an explosive and divisive figure. Figure. He knew that if you placed your faith in Jesus, it could have significant consequences in your life. I mean, this is second, third generation Christianity. When persecution was happening in the church, he's writing to Theophilus who knows that if he was to say yes and place his faith and trust in Jesus, it could cost him his reputation. It could cost him his job. It could cost him certain relationships. And at that time, it could cost him his very life. Luke knew that. Luke knows that the claims that Jesus makes are significant theological claims and significant political challenges. And so he wants to get right to the core of it. Luke 1, 5 through 7. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Verse 6 and 7 are important. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child. I want you to note that. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Luke starts out as a historian, dating this in actual time. In the days of Herod, there was this priest. We have Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth. He wants the audience, he wants Theophilus to know that they were both righteous. They were both walking blamelessly before God, not saying they were perfect, but they lived a life of faith. They wanted to please God. They strove to be obedient to his word and serve him and serve others. And verse 7 makes it very clear that they had no children and that Elizabeth was barren, okay? Now, as we study scriptures, to be a good student sometimes, you have to put yourself into their shoes. You have to try to put yourself into their context, okay? When we talk about being childless, it just doesn't sit the same today in our world, in our time, in our culture. But back then, culturally at that time, for a married couple, nothing could be worse than have no children, especially if the husband was a priest, okay? Significant reasons why. One, they believed that if you didn't have children, it was a result of a curse or sin in your life. So there was something that you did or done that was displeasing to the Lord, right? So you carry that stigma that's around you. Also, there wasn't any Roth IRAs. There weren't any 401ks. There was no Social Security or Medicare there. So when mom and dad were to retire, they don't have any finances to be backed up on. They were provided by their children. That's just how that culture was. Significant issue. And also in Judaism, they valued significantly the passing on their faith from one generation to the next generation. They're old, so they don't have children. Her womb was barren. The way Luke wrote this is meant to give us the idea that this is a significant area of disappointment in their life. They're old. She's barren. I mean, think about this. 
years upon years upon years upon years of disappointment, of hoping that maybe this is the time when we'll be able to have a child. Years of praying and asking God to give them the blessing of having a child. God, would you show favor and grace and would you bless us with that? And year after year after year, those hopes being dashed against the rocks. What does that do to one's heart over time? What does that do to one's faith over time if we're not careful? It produces hardness inside of us. Resentment and bitterness ultimately get to the spot of being disappointed because they believed at that time. There's something wrong with us, obviously. What's wrong with me? God, do you not find favor with me? You can imagine all of the whispers around in public, like going, what? I wonder what kind of secret sin they have that they can't have children. Can you resonate with that? Have you ever hoped and prayed and longed for something to happen in your life, something to change in your life, and season after season, year after year, it just doesn't seem to happen? And you wonder what others think of you. And you may even begin to wonder how God sees you. That produces doubt. And if that doubt comes from disappointment, we have to be careful because it will lead us to this place of unbelief. That's what caused me to question my pastor. It was because there was hurt and disappointment that was there and it showed up. Doubt can arise when disappointments in life are very alive and well. When that doubt stems from disappointment, we got to be very clear. We're not being honest. A lot of times when we have that doubt from a disappointment, we usually create all of these red herrings and scapegoats like, and we, where we project like, it's because of this. God, it's because of that. We never become honest with the real issue. Luke wants us to know clearly that the issue of Elizabeth's barrenness has nothing to do with sin. And that's why he made it clear that they were righteous and blameless before God. It had nothing to do with them. It's just that God had other plans. And in verse 8 through 10, we see the story where now Zechariah, who's a priest, he goes to Jerusalem and there's thousands of priests there to do their, their, their duties. And, and, he, and they draw lots to see who would be the priest at this time to go into the temple to be able to offer incense, which was the symbolic picture of prayer that would go up to the Lord. And a lot of times, like, it was, it was just a, a random lot that would be chosen. And many, many priests would never get the opportunity to go inside. But this time, the lot fell to Zechariah. And he gets this amazing opportunity to go into the temple to pray and to offer the incense up to God. And outside in the court are multitudes of people praying to God. It's this beautiful picture that Luke gives us. It's this subtle idea that prayer is a significant factor in our faith. And in this moment... You know that Zechariah is praying. And we don't know if he's on his knees or if he's prostrate on the ground praying and pleading. We don't know if Zechariah is praying again to God that he would bless him with a child. But more than likely, because he's a priest, he's interceding on behalf of the nation of Israel. Praying for the coming of the Messiah. Praying that God would send another prophet to speak because it's been hundreds of years with no word from God. And you know the people of Israel that are out in the courts are praying the same thing. That's the scene here. And then out of nowhere in verse 10, in verse 10, an angel shows up. 
standing at the right side of the altar of incense. <laughs> and I, I love this scene, okay? Because a lot of times when we think about angels, I need to like challenge you, don't think of Hallmark, okay? Don't think of like Valentine's Day and Cupid, right? Like, like don't think of like the the squishy baby angel, like the Michelin baby or something. Like, no, that, like if I saw that, if anybody saw that kind of angel in the Bible, they wouldn't be terrified. They would want to hug it, right? Like that's not the image here. So this angel shows up at the right side of the altar and we are told that when Zechariah sees it in verse 12, he's troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. You just got to imagine that scene for a moment. Now look at this. The angel said to him in verse 13, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Like that's great news. An angel shows up and says, Zechariah, I've been sent here because God heard your prayers. I merely go, what, what prayer is he answering? God is so good, he's doing both. Uh, the child and a prophet's coming and the Messiah's coming. This is great news and it's gonna bring you so much joy and it's gonna bring people so much joy. It's gonna be the season of repentance, of calling people to stop living a certain way and turn from that and turn back towards God because he's sending the Christ. You would think that Zechariah would be like, whoa, praise God. Like you would think he would do that. I mean, he knows the Old Testament. He knows the prophecies. He knows that angels show up and when angels show up, they're terrifying. He knows all these things. He knows that there's supposed to be a prophet that's supposed to come before the Messiah comes. He knows all of that. He even knows that God can deal with a barren womb. Because the father of their faith was Abraham and Sarah who couldn't have children because they were too old. You would think he would be like, that is awesome, so be it. But here's his response. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and this is funny, husbands never say this, and my wife is advanced in years. I'm old, have you seen her? I mean, like, I'm old, but she's capital O-L-D. She's old. Like, that's what he's saying. And, and, and it, this, is, this is doubt. But this isn't like the healthy doubt. This isn't the humble doubt that leads to faith. In fact, this is the doubt that's not even wanting to really know the answer. It's, an, it's a red herring. Well, how will this be? That's not, what, that's not what he's asking. How shall I know this? He doesn't want to know the answer. What he's actually saying by the question is impossible. Impossible. Why now? Why, why not when I was younger? 
Why now? And I'm going to share with you why I am convinced it's from disappointment. But we got to grab hold of a few gospel images here that are so important. Elizabeth was barren. That's an important word that Luke uses. And the word barren basically means lifeless, devoid of life. There's, it's impossible for that womb to produce life. That's an image of humanity. We're barren. We can't produce life. There's nothing inside of us that can do this. It's a hopeless feeling. But now God's coming and saying, I'm bringing about hope. And, and, and Zachariah's like, impossible. Absolutely impossible. The angel responds, and I'm telling you, this is not a response you ever want to hear from an angel. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. Like, I, I read that, and I immediately think of when my mom used to discipline me. I am your mother. At that moment, I'd be like, uh-oh. Right? Like, that, I, like, I want to know how did he say this. Like, I'm Gabriel. That, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent. You won't be able to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I came from God to you to tell you this great news Zachariah, just a moment ago, you were wetting your pants when you saw me, and now you have the audacity to question me? Like, all joking aside, we got to wrestle with our heart here, because a lot of times when we read these stories and the things of God, we go, ooh, this is way too far-fetched. This is way too grand. This is way too out there. Nope, not true. Especially if there's disappointment in our hearts. We don't want to hear God's answer or solution. And so the angel puts Zechariah in a biblical timeout. Nine months, go to your room, no speaking, no hearing. You need to think about this. This is a big deal. Because if Zechariah wasn't going to be disciplined over this doubt that is pushing him towards his unbelief, if this doubt was to be left unchecked, listen, he would eventually deny the power that is central to the gospel. Resurrection. Elizabeth was barren, lifeless, impossible. Your wife will have child. He will be the forerunner to the Messiah. And he's stirring up all of these things. It's like, if you can't believe this, you're not going to be able to believe that Jesus could raise from the dead. That he could conquer death in the grave, which is what we need in this life. God was disciplining Zechariah. He wasn't punishing him. He was trying to turn him around to bring him back to God's heart. Friends, listen. Sometimes we simply need to be quiet and stop speaking and listening to the words that recycle the doubt and unbelief in our lives. Sometimes we need to have a spiritual time out and just be silent before the Lord and learn again to trust in God's loving character. We need hope in our areas of disappointment. 
And God is so good that he does that. In verse 21 through 23, it's a bit of a comedy scene because now Zechariah, he can't speak and he can't hear. He comes out of the temple and, he, and people are like, what took you so long? And he's trying to communicate to them what just happened, but he can't. So he's doing um, spiritual charades. Sounds like big angel, you know, wife going to be pregnant. What did he do? How did he do that? Kind of funny scenario in my mind. But what's beautiful is verse 24 and 25. And after these, these days, he leaves because his service has ended. He goes home and his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. That's important. Remember what I said culturally about the stigma, about not being able to have children? The fact that she said that, the fact that that was recorded shows us that this was an area of disappointment in both of them. Zechariah doubted in an unhealthy way. He couldn't believe what God said. He wasn't even open to it. And God had to discipline him to bring him back. So Theophilus, you could be like Zechariah or Here's another story. And six months later, Theophilus Gabriel shows up in this peasant village called Nazareth. He comes to this teenage girl by the name of Mary, and she's engaged to be married to this man, Joseph. And she's a virgin, and Luke writes that down, not just for medical facts, but to show us something of theological significance. This is loaded with imagery. We got a barren womb. We got someone who is dealing with reproach because they're underneath this curse of sin and all this kind of stuff. But now he's going to talk about a birth that's going to be miraculous, that there's going to be no human intervention in. And that, is, that has significant theological overtones to it. This pregnancy, this birth can and only will be accomplished by the power of God, which is this picture of the gospel, our salvation. It can't be done by us. There's no works that we can do. We can never be good enough. Salvation comes from God alone. Mary, as she sees Gabriel, she's troubled as we see in verse 28 or verse 27, 29, <laughs> 30. 30, no, 29. But she was greatly troubled at the saint and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. She's like, who am I? She's probably 14, 15, 16 years old, and she's a poor peasant girl in a known named village of Nazareth. In fact, people look down of people who live in Nazareth. And she, she gets greeted by them, like, the Lord is with you, O favored one. And she's like, what in the world is all, all of this about? And the angel said to her in verse 20, in 30, <laughs> struggle fast, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. Okay. Put Christmas out of your mind for a moment. Take the Christmas nostalgia out and imagine yourself to be Mary. Guys, imagine yourself to be Joseph. You got to put yourself in this situation. You gotta imagine all of the feelings and the emotions that you would be processing when you hear this message from the angel. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, 
And you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. I mean, think about the ramifications of this message. This is putting Mary in a difficult position. How am I favored of God with this message? I'm engaged to Joseph and you're telling me I'm going to be pregnant. And culturally speaking, if you are pregnant outside of marriage, not only does the culture frown upon that, but they'll actually kill you for it. So basically this message is putting Mary into a death sentence. Favored? How am I favored? I love Joseph. What is Joseph going to say? I know Joseph. It looks really suspicious. I promise you there's not another man. It was God. I, I'm telling you, it was God. Okay, Mary. And Joseph, being an honorable person, we know the story, was going to divorce her in secret. was going to break it off in secret. I mean, this would ruin Mary's life forever. But she didn't even think about those things because she caught on to the message of Son of God, throne of David, and eternal kingdom. His name is Jesus, which means salvation. Mary knows enough that we need the Messiah. And can you imagine her processing is going, I'm a sinner, and, and I'm going to give birth to the one that's going to save me from my sin and the world from their sin? How is this possible? Which is exactly what she asks. How is this possible? I am a virgin. I mean, on the surface, doesn't it look like she's doubting just like Zechariah? Like Zechariah was like, how shall I know this? But we know it's a different kind of doubt. I mean, her doubt is saying like, I don't understand how this will work. I got questions biologically. I don't believe, like I, I might struggle with believing it, but I'm not close to it. I'm open to it. Like, this is a humble doubt. This is like a, I believe, help me with my unbelief type of doubt. Zechariah's doubt is more of a proud and lazy doubt that's just closed, that's silly, that's ridiculous, that's impossible. It's closed-minded. It refuses to even consider the possibility of it happening. Whereas humble doubt is open to it. It's going to ask genuine questions. And I love Gabriel's response to her. As we look at this in verse 35 on, it goes, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Even your relative Elizabeth in her old age, to which I'm sure Elizabeth's going, stop that. Okay. I'm just telling you, there are funny things in the book. Okay. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age is also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing, for nothing will be impossible with God. Luke is writing this letter to a man named Theophilus so that Theophilus would know with certainty. He gives these two remarkable stories, miraculous stories, medical impossibilities. Luke's a doctor. 
angels, Messiah, an established throne forever. He wants Theophilus to wrestle with his heart. Theophilus, I know as you read this, doubts might arise. But you need to know this. Nothing will be impossible with God. And as doubts arise, choose the humble doubt. Be open to the possibilities. Be open to the truth. Keep reading. Keep reading about this. And Mary, she responds with a position that I want to encourage you to respond with. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Surrender. Doesn't mean you have to understand it. You might still doubt, but you're open to it. Trust him with your problems. Trust him with your disappointments. Trust him with your confusion. Trust him with what seems impossible. Because look at what's coming. Shalom, peace, salvation. One who's going to deal with the barrenness of humanity. One who will deal with the reproach that we have on us because of sin. One who will move us from death to life, sending his son, Jesus, to take on the throne of David, to restore and establish justice and peace and righteousness forever. You can know this with certainty. Nothing will be impossible with God, Theophilus. Nothing. Keep reading. Move to the Father's heart. So I ask you this morning, with whatever doubt that you wrestle with, whatever disappointments, hurt, heartache that causes you to doubt God, move towards him. And even this morning, if you're like, I'm good with that, continue to move towards him and remember who Jesus is. He is the king of kings. And his throne is fixed. As we watch people jockey for power and positions, his kingdom is unshaken. Jesus, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the grace of how you deal with our hearts, how gentle you are with our hearts. Sometimes our hearts need a stern rebuke. But it's never out of evil. It's always out of good and benevolence. You discipline us to bring us closer to you. Thank you for that. God, I ask that you would show us areas in our lives where we doubt you because of unbelief, because maybe we are disappointed with you, frustrated with you, hurt. Lord, I just pray that you would again lead us to a place where we can stand Sit, lay down in silence and awe over your loving heart. 
Lord, I also pray and ask that we would continue to place our hope, our faith on you alone. You alone have the words of life. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who believe boldly and confidently, even if we still have lingering issues of unbelief, that we know in our hearts because of your spirit that nothing will be impossible for you. Thank you, Lord, in Christ's name.